Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. Again, open your Bible to the book of Mark in chapter 10. We're going to read this again. Um, I've told many people this. I said this last week. This is a hard, hard message for me because I love to be upbeat and preach on the positive and preach on the wonderful and preach on the promises. And that is part of this message. But there is also a hard, hard message message about divorce in this section of scripture you know i had somebody ask me say well you're preaching this because of this particular thing or this going on in this person's life and i was like no it just happens to be where we're at in mark and we shared last week about the fact that so many people in fact there probably is not a person in this church if not in this world that has not been touched by divorce in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Uh, whether it's personally, whether it's your own, whether you've gone through divorce, and I know we have many in this church that have, whether it be someone in your family. Again, uh, I've ne- me and Trace have been married 22, nearly 22 years. Uh, I come from a parents that have been married for over 50 years. Tracy's parents have been divorced. That's just the reality. Our lives are touched by that. Hers more directly than mine, but still everybody, and it's a hard hard topic but as we shared last week what God says is what matters what God says is what we need to believe and what we need to practice and we're going to talk about this this morning it is not my there's some message that I just come in I'm like I just cannot wait to share this message and as many of you know and I've even told you the past couple weeks it's just been mm, I've just God help me, because it's not my favorite topic to talk about. But we're going to, and so I pray that you, like we shared last week, and like I have to do, I pray that you'll do the same, is it's not my truth that I need to be concerned about, it's God's truth that we need to be concerned about, and that's God's truth that is truth. And so hold your Bible up over your head, if you will. This is the Word of God. I will read it, I will believe it, and I will obey it by the grace of God. Mark 10, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read this again. And he arose. I'm going to stop every once in a while just to kind of help you understand what's going on. And he arose from thence. Well, where was that? As we shared last week in chapter 9, he had been teaching about sin and hell. And now he's going to touch on another hard topic, and that is divorce and marriage. It's getting personal. Let me just stop right there for a second. There are some times in some churches and some pastors and some Christians, we love the lovey-dovey stuff, we love the rainbows, and we love the promises, and we love the blessings, but we've got to take it all, and we've got to believe it all, and we've got to understand it all. And sometimes people say, well, the God of 
The Old Testament would seem to be hard and judgmental and wrathful. But the God of the New Testament, oh, it's just grace and love. And, and I say to them, apparently you haven't read the book of Revelation. God is not changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we need to understand his truth. And he was teaching the truth as he went. Went from fire and brimstone to now divorce and marriage. And here he is again, verse 1. He cometh into the coast of Judea by the farthest side of Jordan. And the people resort, or they came to him again. And as he was wont, or as he was likely to do, or enjoyed doing, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him. Again, I didn't mention this last week, but I want to mention this right here. Here is Jesus teaching. And he's teaching some wonderful things. We don't know all what he was teaching in verse 1, but he's teaching some, some wonderful things. And people, as we shared last week, have questions. But sometimes there's people that are out to trip you up or out to entrap you, in this case, tempt him, it says, to test him, and they want to interrupt what you're doing. Sometimes those questions that people are going to come and ask you are going to come at the most inopportune time. And that's what was happening here. The Pharisees asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Tempting him. And he stopped what he was doing, and he answered and said unto them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. Now notice again, go back to verse 4. What they told was not exactly the truth. Moses did not say, hey, yeah, if you want to get divorced, just get divorced. That's not what he said. It was only for a certain circumstance where they allowed to do that. But either way, Jesus doesn't even touch on that. He just says, hey, that was because of sin, because of the hardness of the sin in your heart that he wrote this precept. But from the beginning, verse 6, of the creation, God made them male and female. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall become one flesh, or two people shall become one entity. But verse 9, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder or break apart. And in the house his disciples asked him again in the same manner, and he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband to be married to another, she committeth adultery. Now, it wasn't that, well, one's committing adultery and the other's not. No, either one, if you divorce... You are committing adultery, and we're going to talk about, is there an exception? Moses gave one. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Then you're committing adultery. That's what he said. And that's why I want to get you to understand that when we read the Word of God, when we believe the Word of God, we've got to believe the easy stuff, the lovey stuff, the gray stuff, as well as the radical and the hard stuff. And what Jesus was teaching here was radical because the people didn't want to believe it, and they certainly weren't practicing it. But we need to understand what God has to say, and so we're going to do that, share that again this morning, diving into not just believing God's truth, but what he says about marriage and divorce, God's truth. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us today. Father, not just to share the message boldly, clearly, and plainly, but God, that we would accept it and believe it with all our heart, 
And God, that we would trust you in your word and your plan and that we would learn and apply this, but God, also that we would just believe you in everything. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So number one, very quickly, I'm going to try, because i got a lot I want to get to, so I'm going to fly a little bit. There is God's truth. The first thing I want to share with you is God's truth about marriage. Now, I'm not going to dive into every aspect of marriage, because in a different passage, there's some more things shared, and I'm going to share a little bit from that. There's a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 19, but I don't have time to get into every part of that, because we're preaching out of Mark. And so while some things are shared in Matthew 19 that are go along with this, it's not contradicting this. It's the same. But let's follow what we see here. Number one, God's truth about marriage, because he said from the beginning, from the beginning, it is God that created marriage. Number one thing we need to understand about marriage is God created marriage. Back in the beginning, in the garden, with Adam and Eve, God created marriage marriage and marriage was between a man and a woman i thought i was gonna have time to get into the whole thing about gender i'm not except to say this god created two genders and that's all there are man and woman he didn't create more later he didn't give exceptions for more later i know the world and many even in christianity want to say well what about this and what about that no in the beginning from the beginning man and woman, not man and animal, not man and man, not woman and woman, not man and two women, not two women and a man, not a whole group, none of that. One man, one woman, Adam and Eve, in the beginning. God created marriage. Since God created marriage, number two is God has the right to define marriage. What you make, what you create, it is your authority to do it as you will, and therefore he defines marriage. If we, were to, we don't necessarily have to turn back to Genesis chapter 2, but if we turn back to Genesis chapter 2, we see that God created marriage when he took man and he brought all the animal kingdom before him and he named them all, and Adam did not find a partner. He did not find somebody to be a companion with. God knew that. God wanted Adam to see that. There is nobody that's going to be a perfect companion for you except for who I have for you. And that is for a man, a woman, and for a woman, a man. Does everybody get married? No. Does God intend for everybody to get married? No. In fact, we see that over in Matthew chapter 19, but we're not going to take the time to go there. But if you want to read Matthew 19, verse 1 and following, you'll find the parallel story or the parallel passage that goes along with this, and you'll see some additional things about that. But one man, one woman for life. That was what God's truth, that's what God made marriage to be, that's what, how God defines marriage. It is a permanent physical arrangement. That is what is known as Edenic law. You may have never heard that phrase before, but Edenic law was what God designed in the Garden of Eden. That's where Edenic law comes from. Understand as we read, there's really four kinds of law that we can talk about in the Word of God. There was the Edenic law, there is the Mosaic law, there is man's law, and there's God's law. 
God's law is the one that really matters, but God also gave the Edenic law, and God instructed Moses in the Old Testament for the Mosaic law for a purpose. We won't have time to get into all that now, but what really matters is God's law, and the Edenic law was certainly part of that. God brought them together, and they became part of one another. In fact, I'm going to go back, and you don't have to, you, you can turn there if you want to. I'm going to take the time to do this. Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2 tells us of that first marriage, and Jesus is actually quoting part of Genesis chapter 2 when he says this, and we see how exactly I'm going to make a help meet for him in verse 18. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them, not to see if they were a mate for him, but to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. God brought them together. And if you're married today, God has brought you together. And you say, well, I married the wrong woman. Then you, was that really God who God had for me? When you married her, you made her who God had for you. But let's continue. God said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So that's where you see again here in Mark where Jesus is basically reciting what was said and what God did back in Genesis. And so therefore God brought them together and they were bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. No longer two, but one. What God has joined together by God, we are not to break apart. Only physical death was God's plan for that union to be dissolved. Plain and simple. Mark chapter 10. From the beginning... Man and woman, male and female. For this cause, verse 7, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, and they are no more twain or two, but one. What therefore God have joined together, let not man take or pull apart. Now, I'm going to try to do this because if I have here, hang on. I should have had this done already. For some of you, that are visual. I've got two pieces of putty. They're the same. Again, they're, they're equal. They're two. One, two. But when you get married, God puts them together, and therefore, here's the concept. You become no longer two, but you are one. And there's a truth to this. There's a logic to this as well because it's the truth of God. If I take and try to pull these apart, how can you tell which one was one and which one was the other? You cannot. They're no longer two separate. They are one ball of putty. We're one instead of two. And when you try to take apart what God has put together, it pulls and it tears, and you no longer are the same 
you no longer, you can't, you can't just pull it apart and have it back exactly the way it was before. It is now damaged. It is now torn. It is now hurt. It is no longer whole. And no matter what the reason for divorce, that's why God said, don't take it apart. Don't take it apart. And every person who's ever gone through divorce can uh, understands this. It's not, you, you do not go through that process, that division of what God has put together without there being pain, without there being suffering, without there being hardship, without there being difficult for you and for others. That's just the reality. Only physical death could break the marriage. That was the Old Testament teaching or law about marriage. It is God that made marriage. It is God that defines marriage. And it is God that gave instructions for a blessed marriage. And so very quickly, I just want to share with you these important ingredients for having a solid marriage. And again, there's a whole lot more than just this. Because Jesus wasn't just focusing on marriage here. The question was about divorce. But he talks about the two are no longer one, but they are, or I'm no longer two, but they are one, and God has brought them together. And so therefore, he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. He said, well, what about the wife? Is she supposed to leave her father and mother or take her along with him? Understand, in the original language, it's literally mankind is to leave their parents. It's not just the man is and the woman's not. It's both are to commit to each other. That's what marriage is. It is a commitment. It is a union. And so now the focus is no longer on my parents or your parents. It's no longer on your brothers and your sisters. But before everything else, after God, is you and me, the husband and the wife. And that is the key. And so, for listen, I've got a couple in here, and I'm not trying to embarrass them, but for my young people, and some are getting married in a couple of weeks, and some may get married years from now and may never get married. That doesn't matter. Understand this. When you get married, the first thing after God, God comes first, but after God is each other. The world's going to tell you, you got to look out for yourself. No, you look out for the union that is you but the world's also going to say well your kids have to come first no no that's not what god's word says the man shall leave his his father and his mother or both of them shall leave their parents and the two must be committed to each other cleave cling to each other not you go over here and do your thing. Now listen, I understand. Let, let's just hold on one second. When I say cling and cleave, that means that we are stuck together. And you are, apart from God, the most important thing to me. Not my job, not my other family. They're important. My job is important. My mission that God has given me, in my case, a, ch a church, pastoring, is important. But after God, and God says, okay, after me, you follow me, but then after me, even before your job is pastoring the church that I've called you to pastor, is your wife. You say, well, you mean even before the children? Yes, because before you have children, you have each other, and after children, you have each other. And if you try to put those children first, you are going to take away from what God has designed, and it's going to cause a problem. 
make him the focus and he puts each other in focus that is to cling to each other does that mean i can't do anything by myself no you can you may have hobbies got you know maybe fishing or maybe she likes fishing maybe he likes crocheting it don't matter what it is maybe he likes shopping for shoes it doesn't matter my point is this you can do things but the focus is hey we're stuck together and I enjoy being with you, and I'm going to learn to even enjoy more being with you. When I first saw Tracy, I'm going to come back to this in a minute. She always gets embarrassed when I do this. But when I first saw Tracy, I said the same thing as Adam did when he was in the garden. He said, what do you mean you saw the same thing? He said, when, Ad, when God brought Eve before Adam, you know what Adam said? This is where a woman gets her name from. And I know Ella's going to cringe over there. You know what Adam said? It's an old joke. Y'all have heard this before. God brought Eve before Adam, and Adam said, whoa, man. That was the most wonderful, most beautiful, most luscious thing he'd ever seen in his life. And you say, luscious, is that the right word? Yes, when you're married, that's the right word. When I first saw Tracy, I'm, and I, I told it before, I'll probably tell it again, maybe not in the same way, but when she first walked, the first time I saw her, I was in the big room, she was in the small training room, and there was a little window that went across that room, and I watched her float across the room, that other room. And I said, whoa, man. She was beautiful. And then I got to know her, and she became more beautiful. When you cling together, when you stick together, the beauty and the love grows. I'm going to come back to that, but I'm, let me leave it for just a minute. Cling to, it's not cling to family. It's not cling to friends. It's not cling to children. Listen, you say, well, so you're supposed to ignore the, no, I didn't say ignore the children or your friends or anything else. I'm simply saying what mad, the priority, God and then your spouse. That's how God designed marriage. It is a partnership that God has designed. Do you know what the number one reason, now we're going to get into divorce in just a moment, but talking about marriage, the number one reason for divorce, as of 2021, the most common statistic or cited reason for divorce, I'm not going to ask you to shout out answers, but you might be shocked, it's they or we were not committed to each other. Committed, joined, a union, dedicated to one another. That is the most cited statistic. Infidelity comes after that. You say, well, infidelity is part of being not committed. Yes, but committed. And by the way, the key to all of it is communication, but committed to one another. That is the number one reason for divorce is one or more of the two were not committed to their marriage. It is a partnership designed by God. Now, I just said, when I saw Tracy, I said, whoa, man. But can I just tell you, for you young people or anybody else that's not married and you may one day get married, understand this. Who God, people say, well, how do I know who God has for me? It's not about their looks. It's not. He said, well, wait, I, I, preacher told me that one time, it scared me to death, that God's going to give me an ugly woman. I can just see it now. God's going to give me some ugly woman. And he did not. He gave me the most beautiful woman that ever has lived. 
But it was it, when you get married, it's not about how they look. You know what? Know why it's not about how they look? Because God. No, you, say, you say, well, because we're going to get older, we're going to change. That's true. But God didn't say, "Hey, Adam, how does she look to you?" Hey, Eve, how does Adam look to you? They look handsome to you? No, that wasn't there. It's about. God bringing you together. How you fit as a partner, as a companion, a helpmeet is what the King James says in Genesis chapter 2. Here's the questions you need to ask. Do they, by themselves, do they, apart from me, by themselves, are, first of all, are they a Christian? Young person, young Christian, if you're considering anybody that's not a Christian, that's mistake number one. Do not look to others that are not a Christian. And then number two, not just are they a Christian, but do they love Jesus with all their heart? By themselves. I'm not going to call names, but far too often we've talked about people that they're dating and it seems they were not following God, but then they got in with somebody and they started following God because that girl or that guy followed God. And that's wonderful that they do, but then when they broke up, all of a sudden they quit following God again. It's, do they love Jesus? Do they follow Jesus on their own? And then number two, do they encourage you to follow Jesus on your own? We ought to be iron sharpening iron. The Bible talks about that, about friends sharpening one another. The same thing is in a marriage, sharpening and encouraging and motivating one another to follow Jesus. And so therefore, do they follow Jesus and do they encourage you to follow Jesus? Ladies, does he lead you in following Jesus? God made the man to be the leader, the husband to be the head of the home. That, that's biblical, all right? That's, that's not my message for today, but I'm just giving some tips on finding that partner for you. I'm telling you, do they lead? And guys, will they follow spiritually? One of the most wonderful things about Tracy I could ever say about Tracy. It's not just about how beautiful it is, not how kind she is, not how just wonderful she is. I could talk about those things all day long, but she has been willing to say, hey, when we, we talk about different things and she'll say, you decide. I'm following your lead. Whether it be going to a church or whether it be in, in, in where we're going to go to church, whether it be pastoring a church, she go, we'll talk about it and she'll give me her opinion but say, you, lead the way. Here's the bottom line for marriage and how God defined marriage. God decides how God brings you together. Does that man, does that, that boy, does that girl, are you two coming together making a better one, Christian-wise, godly-wise, spiritual-wise? Do you together as a team make better as a whole than you were apart? I'll go back, and, and I know I'm bragging on Tracy here, and she sits there and she kind of cringes when I do it, not because she thinks it's untrue, but because she just doesn't like me talking about her. But I'm going to tell you, she was the perfect companion for me. When I first saw her, I said, whoo, she looks good. But then I realized she's everything that I'm not. 
She balances me. She helps me to be a better Christian. She, yes, she follows, but she also encourages me in my spiritual walk, but she also follows me in my spiritual walk, but together she helps balances me out. I've told you this before, so this ought to be no surprise to you, but if you think I'm nuts sometimes at what I do and what I say now, you should have seen me before I met Tracy. I mean, probably look at my three kids and probably at least the two boys and you'd find out exactly what I was like if you followed them around long enough. But I was out there, and she reins me in. She's super quiet and super conservative in her reactions and in her responses. And I'm way over here on the other end of the spectrum where I'm way out there, and I'll do anything. And she kind of says, no, come back over this way a little bit. And I say, well, you come over here this way a little bit. And now we're better together. And that's how you know if it's who God has brought, a lot of prayer, a lot of time, yes, but do they make you, do they love Jesus? Do they encourage you to follow Jesus? And together, are you better for serving Jesus? It's a partnership designed by God. Now, in the time that I got left, I want you to see God's truth about divorce because that's part of this. Number one, the only reason there is divorce, the only reason, there is divorce in this world is because of sin. Now, that may or may not be your specific sin, so please mis don't misunderstand me, but a world that is cursed by sin, therefore pride, feelings, emotions, actions come in that are sinful, and people get divorced. It happens. The divorce rate, as I said last week, is still right around 50% for first marriages. That's even true in the church. And actually, people say, well, it keeps getting worse and worse. Well, actually, no. Divorce rate has gone down a little bit, but that's because the marriage rate has gone down a little bit. Fewer people are getting married, and so therefore fewer people are getting divorced but the percentage-wise is still about the same as far as first marriages. But from the beginning, marriage was, it was for life. And that Mosaic law was then given. He said, I gave you the Edenic law. Then Moses gave, as Jesus talks about here, what did, go back to the verse, what did Moses command you? Jesus knew what Moses commanded. And they said, to write a bill of divorcement. And Jesus says, that's not how it was from the beginning. He said, preacher, are you saying that all divorce because of sin? Yes, it is, because divorce was as big a deal back in Moses' day as it is today. But what was going on is because of the sin in their heart and they weren't willing to follow that, Moses said, okay, the lesser of two evils is going to be if this cause, if you... this." If, so, if some kind of sexual impurity is found in her, we don't know, the word is sexual uncleanness, is found in her, then you can write a bill of divorcement because their hearts were hardened by sin. And so therefore, the Mosaic was law was given because of sin. You say, well, what is sexual uncleanness? Is that talking about fornication or adultery or unfaithfulness. No, it's not talking about adultery. It can't be. And you say, what? 
in the Mosaic law, if a woman or a man committed adultery for the Jews, do you know what happened? It wasn't they could write a bill of divorcement. It was they were stoned. If a woman or a man was caught in adultery, they were stoned. Divorce? No, it was death. That's what was going on. So it can't be talking about adultery. What's talking about most likely is if the person was impure before they got married and then it comes out after you're married, you were allowed to write a bill of divorcement, but it was still because of the hardness of their heart. That was the Old Testament Mosaic law. If a person wasn't caught in adultery, but for example, if the man would say, hey, my, woman, my wife is fooling around with somebody else, if you read your Bible, you find out in the Mosaic law, they brought her or him, but women weren't allowed to divorce men anyway in Jewish law. Only the man could divorce a woman. Now, the reason in Mark it talks about the man or the woman divorcing is because Mark, again, was writing not to the Jews. He was writing specifically to the Romans, but Gentiles, and they were allowed. In a Roman law, women were allowed to divorce men. So he refers to both. If you go over to Matthew, Matthew only talks about the man divorcing the woman because in Jewish law, the woman was not allowed to file for divorce or give a bill of divorcement. So understand that. But what would happen was this. If you caught, I'm just going to say the man caught or thought she was cheating on him. He was to bring her before the priests. And the priests would mix up this concoction and they would ask her, and if she said no, they would drink this concoction. And if the concoction made her sick, then she was guilty of adultery or fooling around. If it did not, then she was innocent. That's how God gave the instruction for them to know. And then if a woman was caught in adultery, a man was caught in adultery, they could be stoned or were to be stoned. Now, in the New Testament, the Bible talks about the fact in Romans that the church does not bear the sword. In other words, we don't carry out those Old Testament judgments. So, what's the difference? By the way, before I get to that, let me just say this. And for those of you that have ever watched The Chosen, this might ring a bell to you. There were two schools of thought in when it came to divorce. Because most of the religious teachings, people sided with one rabbi or another. And I found this out in my studies, and I, was, I, I like watching the, uh, the TV show, The Chosen, and they talk about these two rabbis in the TV show, which is not inspired. I understand that. But historically, it's correct. There was Rabbi Hillel, and there was Rabbi Shammai. And they were the two prominent rabbis that had taught most of the teachings. People followed one or the other. Rabbi Shammai was very strict. And he said the only reason you can get divorced is for sexual impurity, for uncleanness in the, in the woman. That's the only reason. And then Rabbi Hillel came along and he said you can get divorced for whatever reason you want to get divorced. Well, which side do you think the people chose or most of them followed? The one that let them get divorced whenever they wanted to get divorced and for whatever reason they could get divorced. The Pharisees here were following uh, Shammai, I'm, I'm sorry, Hillel. Because if we read over in Matthew, it says, can a man get divorced for any reason? In other words, we want to get divorced for any reason whatsoever. What do you say, Jesus, trying to 
trap him or make him look bad. And Jesus said, hey, what did Moses say? And he says, now, what does God say? From the beginning, man and woman for life. And then Jesus, no, let me stop right there. Hold on one second. The New Testament law. He said, well, are there reasons? Because we're no longer under the Old Testament law. We are now under the New Testament, and you can say grace, but what did Jesus say? What did God, Some things Jesus said, okay, this, I want to clarify this for you, or I'm going to change this for you. For example, we no longer worship on the Sabbath. The church worshiped on Sunday, the first day, because that's when Jesus rose, and he said there are no holy days, and so therefore we don't have to, Remember the Sabbath, which was Saturday, right? So some things were changed. Jesus changes something here. So what, what exceptions are there for divorce? In Mark, there's none. He doesn't give any. And here's what I want you to understand. He gives no exception. And if there was no exception, then that would be what God said, and that would be what we ought to follow. But, but... If you go over to Matthew, in chapter 19, I want, to look, I want you to see this very carefully. Matthew, verse, Matthew chapter 19, I want you to see this one thing. We don't have time to hit all of it, but I want you to see Matthew 19 and verse 9. Jesus said, in fact, he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, verse 8, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Same thing as he said in Mark. And I say unto you, that phrase is important. Why is that phrase important? It's because God said, Moses said, it really said God said, and God from the beginning said, here it's from the beginning, man and woman for life. But I say, Jesus could say that because he was God. And so he's saying, hey, I as God am saying this. And that is, verse 9, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication. Now, fornication here is sexual immorality. I know we're an adult topic. I know we got some young kids in here. I'm not going to go any more into detail than that. But understand this. He's saying, basically, if people are messing around outside the confines of marriage, that is the only reason that you can be Divorce. That's what Jesus said. It comes from God's law where he says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And if a person divorces except for adultery and marries another, it says, then they are committing adultery and they're causing the other to commit adultery, the person they marry to commit adultery. If it's for any reason other than that your spouse was not dedicated and was unfaithful in the marriage, then if you marry somebody else, you are committing adultery and you're causing them to commit adultery. That's what God said. The only exception was one, according to Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to understand about that. Immorality was the only cause. It came from God's law. We can call it the New Testament law, if you will. It's the reason he gave the seventh commandment because he knew that unfaithfulness to the marriage could often destroy the marriage. But the truth 
remains the same, and that is this. God is never, ever, ever, can I be any clearer? God is never in favor of divorce. Never. You say, what do you mean God's never in favor of divorce? It breaks God's heart when anybody has to get divorced. He gave a reason. This I'll, I'll accept as a reason, but I still, it breaks my heart when it happens. It breaks his heart when it happens. He's not in favor. The plan was permanent. And there may be lots of reasons that we give for separation in today, or for divorce in today's world. And there may be lots of good reasons for a separation in today's world for the purpose of healing the marriage. Because here's the thing I want you to understand. Yes, I realize in today's world with abuse, and I realize in today's world with uh, people fooling around or realize for all kinds of reasons that divorce happens. But even in the exception that Jesus gave, he didn't say you had to. He didn't say, hey, if your spouse is unfaithful, get a divorce. No, he said, I'll allow it. But here's the wonderful thing, friend, in your marriage, when people sin, and we all sin, and people make mistakes, and I'm not trying to say it's okay to make this mistake. What I'm saying is just because someone does, doesn't mean the marriage cannot be restored. God still heals marriages. God still heals relationships. God can still work in our hearts and he can root it out and there can be forgiveness and there can be repentance and there can be restoration of a marriage. But divorce does happen. It's still a result of one of a sin of one or both parties. And because of sin, there may be some who violate the sanctity of marriage over and over. And because of sin, there are some who perhaps cannot forget and forgive. And a marriage is dissolved. And it happens. And Jesus says, this is according to God, the person who is the victim of adultery, they are free to remarry. That's what Matthew 19 says. In Mark, it just simply says, if you marry... Another, and again, it's still the same thing, but we can apply the, except for the case of immorality, then you are committing adultery. If the person committed adultery on you, then yes, and your marriage is dissolved, then you are free to remarry. So let me close up this way because I'm out of time. God's truth about, well, what happens now? What happens if I've been divorced, preacher? In fact, preacher, what happens if I've been divorced and I got remarried and it wasn't because of sexual sin? What if it was because it wasn't because of immorality? What do I do now? I had a person one time ask me, preacher, I'm married and it wasn't for that reason. Am I committing adultery now? Do I need to divorce my wife now so that I can get right? No. No. Two sins don't make Two wrongs don't make a right. So you say, preacher, what if I'm, that's me, what if I'm in that situation and, and I got remarried? Then repent and say, God, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And God forgives. I think we get this idea sometimes, and sometimes the church treats it this way, that divorce is some kind of scarlet letter that can't be forgiven. It can Yes, there are consequences to it that we have to deal with. And God certainly gives certain restrictions for things in the church 
that a divorced person is not to do. And that's not the message for today, but there are consequences to it. But that does not mean that if you've been divorced or somebody else you know has been divorced, that they're somehow a second-rate Christian or that God cannot use them. That's not what he's saying here. And so to try to encourage you is the fact is this, is if I have, am I'm guilty of such a thing, either guilty of adultery or guilty of getting divorced and not being adultery or somebody I know, God forgives. God gives grace. I'm going to preach a message on this and I don't have much time to share this, but in Hezekiah, when talk about reading about Hezekiah, Hezekiah became king of Judah and Hezekiah followed God in everything just like his grand, great-grandfather David had done. And in Judah, this is after Israel and Judah had separated, after Solomon. This is towards the end of Israel before they were taken into uh, Babylon and so forth and so on. But Hezekiah was a godly king. And Hezekiah went and he said, we have not, we have not celebrated Passover since Solomon. And I'm going to reinstitute the celebration of Passover, and we're going to worship God. And he invited not just the people in Judah, but the people of Israel to come, the northern kingdom of Israel, the enemies of Judah, you come, we're one people, let's worship the one true God in the Passover. And some made fun of him and said, what do you think you are? We're not coming. And some came, but they didn't make the proper preparation for Passover. They weren't sanctified is what the the way it reads. They didn't do all the things they were supposed to do. And Hezekiah prays a prayer. He says, God, forgive those who have not made the right preparation, but they came seeking you. And here's my point. None of us are innocent of sin. And my point is this, all of us are tarnished by our sin. None of us have done things perfectly, but Jesus Christ stands as a picture, Hezekiah was a picture, and he says, God, pardon them because they're seeking you. And when you read in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 30, it says this, and God healed the people because of the prayer of Hezekiah and because they were seeking. The fact was, he approved. And so my point is this. You say, well, I've been through divorce, or I'm touched by divorce, or I'm tainted by divorce. It, listen, you can still serve God. God still has a purpose for you. God still has a way for you. Guess what? I've told lies. Guess what? I've disobeyed my parents. Guess what? I'm not perfect either, and God can use me, and God can use you. We ought not look at people and say, oh, well, you did this sin, and so therefore you, you, you're just, you know, you, you're second rate. No. No. That's not what God says at all. God says, just like he did about sin and hell, it's a serious thing, but here's my truth. Marriage is one man, one woman for life. And the only exception I accept is immorality. But if you sin, I still forgive. I still can heal. I still can use you. If you would just but seek me, you look back and you follow people like Samson and you follow people like Jonah and you follow people like even Saul and Solomon and others and you see like Paul and you find out the people were imperfect and God used them anyway. 
Oh, my friends, God has a truth about divorce. God has a truth about marriage. It's not always easy to hear. And we live in a world where people want to follow Hillel. But what we need to say is, hey, I want to be committed to my marriage. I want to be faithful because here's the thing. Your marriage is a picture of your relationship to, of Jesus Christ and the church. And God is faithful in Jesus and God in Israel. And God was faithful in Israel. Committed spiritual adultery. But God said, one day I'm going to restore Israel. And God can restore you. Oh, listen. Will we believe God? Will we follow God? Will we understand what he has to say? And that's his truth that matters. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us today to, Father, hear this hard message. God, there's so many that are touched. There's so many that are scarred, at least in our mind. We're scarred by our past. And Father, we're talking about divorce and we're talking about marriage. And God, it's real. But God, if we've repented of sin and if we've turned to you and you've forgiven us and you don't see our sin, you see our heart that has been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you would help us to pray for marriages today. God, that you would, that you would help us to be faithful to our spouses today. That we would pray for other marriages around us today. That we would pray for these young people that one day may get married today. And God, that we would believe and live according to your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand. We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you. This thing.